Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 114th episode, it's the return of Brett White. Along the way, we discuss having eyes too blue for Doris Day, having your military speciality be Irving Berlin, and gently uncovering the hidden stories of your gay elders. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? I am Brett White. I'm a senior reporter producer for Decider.com and the host of Must Have Seen TV, a podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century. Wow, I have that intro down pat. <laughs> I was going to say, it's very practice. Because how many episodes have you done of Must Have Seen TV? 106 or 107. Like, I still have one more banked that'll be coming out next week. I did the... Maybe not recommended thing of recording five episodes in six days. <laughs> so <laughs> just because it's like I took a, I accidentally took a four month hiatus and uh, then I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to schedule up every night and then I'm just worried about it till mid-May. And now here we are mid-May <laughs> and I'm getting more booked right now, including another heart to heart special. That's perfectly reasonable because, I mean, I went on hiatus at the beginning of the pandemic because it was, oh, we have a child at home and we're both working full time. That'll do it. Maybe this is not a good time to be locking myself away in a room for one to two hours yeah. regularly <laughs> to record a podcast. Goofing around. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Then, yeah, like around Christmas, I was just like, what if I record four episodes this week? And it's like, I can even do it like before work if I schedule it super early. And I'm like, that's really not conducive. Some of those episodes were a little loopy. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, by, by the time, if anyone tunes into like, the uh, Keeping Up Appearances or Gidget episodes, like, I'm fully punch drunk by that point. Like, it's just, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> that's amazing. So you're also working on a book at the moment, which I really, really want to talk to you about. So <laughs> tell us about your book. It is a biography of Hayden Rourke, who played Dr. Bellows in I Dream of Genie. So that sounds incredibly specific because it very much is. And, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. How familiar are you with I Dream of Genie? See, I Dream of Genie was one of those ones where when I was a kid, it wasn't on reruns in Canada. So I'm vaguely aware of it as a thing. See, there's a whole bunch of series where I'm like, so many people got the Nick at Night stuff. Yeah. And I was just like a touch too old for that. And so... I didn't get those. I, I got tons of like I got tons of Golden Girls reruns and syndication. I got like that generation was the stuff that I was watching. The stuff from before, like I have to this day never watched an episode of the Brady Bunch. I've never watched an episode of Legend of Genie. Like I've watched maybe one Gilligan's Island. Like it's well, like, yeah. that generation was just lost to me because I grew up in the mid eighties. Well yeah, yeah. And like Nick at Night, I think that's why Nick at Night existed, was because like a lot of that stuff was like heavy rotation and syndication in the sixties and seventies and maybe fell out of favor in the eighties, and so Nick at Night is what really brought all that back. And then I 
grew up on Nick at Night, and I would go through phases like, you know, Bewitched was my favorite for a little while, then I Dream of Jeannie, then Dick Van Dyke, and Bob Newhart, Mary Tyler, like, I would just, and I Love Lucy, like, so, which is why I have the podcast I have. <laughs> and we're going to a friend's house, and, like, in high school, in the late 90s, and going to a friend's house, and his dad having TV Land on, which was a new oh. Canadian channel, which had only just come to Canada at the time, and I was like, oh, wow, so it's just old tv all the time i think he was watching like the beverly hillbillies or something I'm like that's really cool we never got that but tv land was great because nick and i had like the, your a-list i mean the heavy hitters and the tv land was where it's like well here's hogan's heroes and my mother the car and <laughs> petticoat junction green acres and i was like oh i loved every summer just getting to like wake up and watch tv land Every morning was just so, uh, I loved it. And then I would plan my, um, I wouldn't really plan my college schedule around TV Land's <laughs> schedule. But, like, I did like it if I could watch Bob Newhart show and Mary Tyler Moore show, like, back to back in the morning before going to college. So, uh, so yeah, uh, if anyone isn't familiar with I Dream of Jeannie, it ran from 1965 to 1970 as a Screen Gems production. It is part of a wave of kooky supernatural sitcoms that really just took over television within two years my favorite martian the adams family the monsters bewitched and i dream of genie all debuted it was just this like all of a sudden in order to be on tv you got involved ghosts or <laughs> or witches or something you gotta get that high concept yeah, yeah. and so i mean essentially i dream of genie was just shitty bewitched i mean like i don't that is <laughs> i don't think that i mean TV culture's relationship with I Dream of Genie is very fascinating to me because, for instance, and I say that, and I I love I Dream of Genie. I'm not trying to, I feel like I just maybe alienated whatever I Dream of Genie fans are listening to this, but. Oh no. But I'm saying that, baby. In my research for this book, I bought, in 2000, the author Steve Cox wrote a companion called Primetime in a Bottle, which was, you know, one of those like profiles of all the actors, episode guides, trivia, et cetera, et cetera. And he starts off the book by basically saying, well, I've already written about Adam's family and monsters. My friends basically dared me to write about I Dream of Jeannie. And I was like, okay. And it's just like, oh, so the conceit of this entire book is it is written by someone who acknowledges that like this was critically reviled. The scripts were lazy, et cetera. And it's like, that's... That's shitty. Don't do that. Don't start yeah, your book. Yeah, it's weird. It's going to be bought by fans to say, hey, by the way, I'm only doing this because yeah. this show sucks and my friends dared me to do it. I don't want to be here. It's like, fuck you, dude. Go home. But I will say, Steve is great. <laughs> I'm now friends with Steve <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my research. See, you had to wait until I slagged him off before you said he yeah. was your friend. <laughs> No. Well, I mean, I think we're Facebook friends now just because I have to, like, ask him for research and stuff. And he's he's, not, he's been very nice, very helpful. And honestly, if I could have a career just writing companion sitcom books all the time, that would be fucking <laughs> great. But, like, that is kind of the vibe of I Dream Genie. And then I also don't think it's it's not unfair to say that either because the cast also knew that. Like, if you read any biography or book about, like, Larry Hagman or talk to any of the people that were on the show, like, they all were like, Larry Hagman was like, I hate these scripts. Sidney Sheldon, who created the show, he wrote almost every episode and he would literally just like stand up, like dictate. He would just basically say the entire script out loud to his secretary and she would just type it out. And I, I feel like it was just like one draft and you're done. Like, and since he wrote like that, a lot of his scripts were just dialogue based. And then when they get on their feet on set, Larry Hagman and Bill Daly, who were like physical performers were like, what are we supposed to be doing? We're just, this is like three pages of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, we are two heads talking yeah. to each other. That's not good TV. 
And so they would come up with, like, physical stuff. And, like, they would work with the directors. And the cast was very good about coming up with physical gags to, like, help flesh out the thing. So Bewitched did not have this problem. Which I think is why Bewitched is actually respected a lot more amongst sitcom people. Is that, like, it didn't have an auteur in a way. Sidney Sheldon was very much that. Like, he was just, he wrote everything. He wrote, like, Patty Duke show he did. He created the premise for Heart to Heart. He wrote a ton of novels. Like, Jeannie has an interesting reputation. It's still very, very popular and is fun kitschy campy retro just and also there are fireworks going off in queens new york on <laughs> may 12th because who knows why so that is what those explosions are if anyone hears <laughs> that's completely fine so yeah that i mean like that is the background like so again the premise of i dream of genie is an astronaut in 1965 goes on a mission to like orbit the earth but he lands on an island finds a bottle there's a hot genie in it and he has her and she calls him master, which like nowadays is kind of like, that's weird. But then also that is terminology genies use. So <laughs> it was also quite scandalous at the time too, because it was like a hot blonde woman living with a single man. Subservient to his every whim. <laughs> the sisters lost their minds over that. And they were like, if you show her smoke cloud going under his bedroom door, you also have to show it coming back out. Like... <laughs> It's very, like, the notes, like... So anyway, yes. So that's that dream of Genie. So who was Hayden Rourke in all of that? He was Dr. Bellows, who... Dr. Alfred E. Bellows, the NASA psychiatrist, or Air Force. So yeah, he played Dr. Bellows, and Dr. Bellows' character was, he was the, like... On those shows, there's always, like, the person that is never going to be let in on the joke. And they're always like, I'm on to you. Or, like, there's something off about you. Or, you know, why is this elephant in this bedroom? Like, he was that. The Gladys Kravitz of, like, Bewitched. I was thinking of the Neighbors of Alf. But that was just yeah, yeah, yeah. showing my age there. <laughs> what is interesting about Dr. Bellows as a character is... And I think that this is also the result of sexism is like he is a man so he has a lot more agency like Gladys Kravitz is just like the world is gaslighting her her husband never believes her <laughs> she's always being like I literally just saw a monster <laughs> he's like uh go you know but since Dr. Bells is like a you know older dignified classy professional like psychologist he is allowed to have a lot more agency and so therefore the show doesn't like shit on him as much which is, I don't, like, I think now watching it, it's like Gladys Kravitz is awesome and, like, justice for Gladys, but <laughs> Dr. Bell's had the justice back then. I mean, it's also, this is also his most famous role, is that one five years. Everyone needs to know, the fact that I'm writing a book about him is also, like, I am met with, what? <laughs> Every single time I've talked to someone. But I have very good reasons. Yeah, and the thing is, I only knew Hayden Rourke from Pillow Talk. Like, that's where I had seen Oh, yeah. Yeah. The movie with Doris Day. So what I've learned is that in that one scene, he did a lot of movies with Doris Day, and I think that was the first one. He was really good friends with Rock Hudson, gays. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, like, the apocryphal or, like, maybe true story that I've heard is that when Doris Day did a scene with him, she, like, pulled the, I guess, like, DP aside or someone was just like, his eyes are too blue. We need, like, <laughs> no one in my movie's <laughs> eyes should be bluer than mine, so fix that. And they couldn't because his eyes were just... <laughs> too beautiful and too beautiful eyes too blue for doris day is like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so like the reason i'm writing a book about him and i've devoted literally the last 10 and a half 11 months of my life to him it's <laughs> like all my quarantine last june 2020 for my stuff i did like a pride month special and since it was quarantine i like doubled down and did like seven episodes in a month 
every other one was like a storytelling episode, kind of like you must remember this, but shoddy. Mm. <laughs> you didn't hit your T's quite as hard as the secrets or forgotten. Yes. <laughs> or just like have really good diction. I love that show. After oh, I listen yeah. to that show, I swear my intros get better because you get very wow. specific about how you speak. Yeah, and I, oh God, I'm just, my motto is like, perfect is the enemy of good. So my whole thing is just like, jump in and figure it out. Because if you try to like, overthink it, you're never going to do it. So mm-hmm. must have seen TV is it's a lot more of a cluster in <laughs> quarantine, but what's fine. Every other episode, I would talk about a, you know, an old episode of a sitcom where a gay character comes on and everyone like, you know, freaks out for an episode and they disappear. But then every other episode, I would do legendary gays of sitcom history where I try to do like biographies about gay people who worked on sitcoms that you don't know about that aren't like the Marquis, Paul Lynn, Charles Nelson Riley, like the A-list gays. So I did one about directors. I did one about writers. The writer's episode ended up just being about Dick Clare, who co-created Mama's Family, who was cryogenically frozen, and is the reason that people can get cryogenically frozen in California. (laughs) His life is crazy. And then I was going to do one about three actors, and then I started my research with Hayden, and it just blew me away to the point where the episode just became about him. And so, like, that was, you can go and listen to that episode on Must Have Seen TV from last June, where you're basically just listening to me having... (laughs) I would, like, do all my research and then record right away. Like, there was no preparation. It was, like, find all the facts, do a lot of research, and then just go. (laughs) You're listening to me basically every single thing you could Google about him, I say, in that hour-long episode. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. And it was more than enough to make me get an Ancestry.com account and a Newspapers.com account and just lose my mind for... (laughs) for the last year (laughs) because i mean it's something you've talked about a lot online as well is that you have a feeling that so many of what could have been gay icons for you were lost yeah and it's a sad topic but it's like when you find something like this it can be a very kind of empowering thing to dig into it yeah that's my whole like after i came out of that of june last year my husband like i had so much fun learning about robert moore and uh, arthur lubin who created mr ed and he was also gay so score one for us so one for the team mr ed (laughs) my husband was like this is a book like this is a book you should do this and i was like oh wow yeah i really did enjoy doing that and i felt a uh, almost supernatural which is fitting, I Dream of Genie, <laughs> urge to start with Hayden. Because I also want, like, Richard Deacon from Dick Van Dyke's show I really want to write about, and I don't know, some other ones too. But, like, Hayden was the one that stuck out to me the most. And I realized Barbara Eden is the only person left alive for My Dream of Genie. They are all dead. Like, I think all of the directors, all of the writers, I mean, I went through the IMDb list and tried to find anyone that was still alive and it's like barbara eden and bill moomy was in an episode and i'm still trying to get in touch with him he won't respond to any of my dms (laughs) (laughs) and so it felt like the whole point of doing this is that like the closet kept our stories hidden and then aids killed all of our storytellers in order to preserve gay history the gays of today have to do it because so much has already been lost when John Mahoney passed, who played Marty on Frasier, there was this, I could feel online, a communal sense of he never came out. Everyone talked around it. It was rumored. He starred in a lot of like gay movies. It was like late 90s indie gay dramas. He would be in some of those. But he never talked about it. And there was just this like 
hurt because Marty Crane, as a father, is like a father figure to me. The way that he treats his straight but very gay sons is very powerful. <laughs> and then also having a macho character like Marty Crane be played by a gay man of his age was like also really powerful if he was gay. Yeah, audiences, if you didn't know this, uh, Fraser's secretly the gayest show on TV. Yeah, like everyone on that show was gay except for Fraser. But it just felt like, oh, we lost. Like there is a lifetime of stories of living through everything that John Mahoney lived through. It's gone. Unless David Hyde Pierce or Dan Butler or any of the other like people from Fraser that are gay or, you know, Kelsey Grammer or Jane Lee. Unless any of them talk, it's gone. And so thinking of that, it was like, if I don't do this for Hayden and his story is so wild and just like great and beautiful and uplifting which is again a thing we don't have a lot because again closet bigotry aids etc it felt like i had to do my best to preserve this and document it and i have i do think i have gone above and beyond but in my head i'm still like i still have so much more work to do (laughs) no that makes perfect sense and actually something you said reminded me shortly after my father passed a couple years ago my sister and i like completely separate from each other because he'd been sick for a long time completely separate from each other decided to try and look into anything resembling a family tree because mm-hmm. we don't know yeah both of his parents were dead before either of us were born and we only have a tangential relationship to his family in quebec we realized only like maybe like a year and a half after he died that we had both like separately done this kind of research of writing down everything we could remember and like trying to go to ancestry.ca but the problem is if all of your family is you know poor and doesn't do much there's not a lot of record apart from like the catholic churches and stuff yeah but it's like getting this idea of oh yeah well if we don't do this like literally none of this gets kept yeah and like when you said that it's like if they don't share their stories or if we don't go looking for those stories then it's just gone you know that, that really struck a chord with me Like, Hayden was born in 1910, and he died in 1987. So it is very much, I feel the ticking clock. Like, the reasons that I were so drawn to him immediately is that, for one thing, like, he was with his partner, Justice Joseph Addis III, and... It's a killer name, by the way. (laughs) Spoiler for my book, there are a million Justice Joseph Addises in the world. I have discovered. It is a very specific (laughs) name, but through some, like secret marriage that people didn't know about tomfoolery there is a branch of justice joseph addis's in alabama and then also one in the northeast (laughs) (laughs) so there are currently i think two justice joseph addis's the fourth out there both of which are are continuing one is continuing from and there and it's also named uncle to nephew it's not even father to son and so like it makes it all incredibly confusing and just (laughs) Just was also very close friends with Justice Joseph Addis II, his uncle, Uncle Just, who was only seven years older than him. And so again, like I found all these marriage certificates from the 40s for a Justice Joseph Addis. And I was like, he was in World War II at the time. Who was this guy getting married? So anyway, (laughs) Hayden was with Just. They were together from the mid 30s. I don't know how they met, but I have a couple of suspicions through like tracking down old Adirondacks area camp programs. I found (laughs) that Hayden was a drama instructor at a camp that Just was a camper at. So I'm like, that might be how they met. They were together from like the mid thirties until Just died in 79. So they were together for 40 years and they were as out as you can be. 
they were never closeted. They bought a house together in LA in the 50s during the height of McCarthyism, which again, gay men did not buy houses together. <laughs> You know, in the 50s. Like, they just bought a house and they lived together. And they were upfront about it. One of them didn't go hide when people came over. I found a story about a horror journalist. He works as, a, like, a horror writer journalist now. He's in his 70s. But he told a story about, and it's, it's written on this Oklahoma. He's from Oklahoma. His name is John Woolley. He wrote a story about going to visit his favorite monster ever because Hayden Rourke played the ghost in The Nightwalker, directed by... Oh, God. William Castle? Yeah, William Castle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he played that with Barbara Stanwyck. So, like, that was his favorite movie. And, like, Hayden playing this, like, burned face, wide-eyed, old ghost monster. But he told a story about how in, like, the early 70s, his friend was a intern. He was a PA on Bewitched, which was on the same lot as Genie. And so he was friends with Hayden. And so, like, they went over there. And he was like, he answered the door in a smoking jacket. And we went in and... He served us drinks, and there were cocktail napkins that had Hayden and Juss monogrammed on them. It's adorable. Yeah, like, that is like, oh, gay men in the 70s being so out that they had napkins with their names on them. Amazing. Because roommates don't do that. (laughs) 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 Roommates don't fucking do that. And then also, like, I mean, Barbara Eden, she didn't out him, but if you go to his Wikipedia page, the only thing about his personal life is, like, it's all cited from her memoir, and she only has, like, two sentences about his personal life and it's just Hayden Rourke lived with his partner just in Studio City and they had a menagerie of dogs which is a lie they did not have dogs I have (laughs) debunked that (laughs) numerous (laughs) times they had a cat uh, whose name I don't know but again like they would host the I Dream of Genie cast all the time Barbara loved both of them she worked with both of them just directed her on a drama series before she even got Genie. Bill Daly who played Howard Borden on the Bob Newhart show and Roger Healy on Genie. His children loved Hayden and Juss, and they would go over there, and Bill Daly would always say that, like, if he had to trust his kids to any two people in Hollywood, it would be Hayden and Juss. I found this really beautiful story about two men who loved each other and, you know, served in World War II together, doing Irving Berlin's touring This is the Army show, (laughs) which is just a whole fascinating tangent at some point. I found this beautiful story about these two men who were never closeted. They were only closeted because people just didn't ask about that stuff back then, but they also didn't hide it. Neither of them die of AIDS. And that sounds very <laughs> like blunt and crass or I don't, <laughs> it's just, it is a real truth. And it's a upsetting fact that I, as a TV critic, I keep having to watch more and more period pieces where gay men die of AIDS over and over again like a horrifying Groundhog's Day and it's like I can't be mad at literally anyone because that's literally what happened I can be mad at Ronald Reagan and the US government for being like go die it's really upsetting but it also does something to as a gay person it does something to your brain where over and over again you're like all of my heroes just kept dying of this same plague over and like it's just so sad and so, like, when I found this one story where both of them died of cancer, a different kind of plague, <laughs> when I found that, it was just like, there's something, it just goes against all these, we have a lot of tragedies, and we don't have a lot of, I don't know, what's the opposite of a tragedy? Well, comedy, but this isn't a comedy. <laughs> we don't have a lot of happy stories, and yeah. and it just felt like I had to do something just to help flesh out what it meant to be gay in America in the 20th century. Because it is a wide spectrum of experiences. So I just keep going on and on and on. (laughs) No, this is really good. This is what I wanted to hear. Because, like, 
also watching you through social media, admittedly, but watching you kind of progress through the steps of this is something I'm researching. This is something that could be a book. No, I'm actually talking to people about it and having, yes, some bumps in the road. Yeah. But coming to this realization that, no, this could be a thing. This could be a story I can tell has been really great to watch. Yeah. Well, and so like over the past year, I've done 39 interviews. I think I have over 30 hours of interview material. I have archived a thousand newspaper articles. (laughs) You know, I've watched a bunch of movies. I've read a bunch of books. You know, I've got copies of their death certificates. I tracked those down because this is again, like the important work being done, I think is in the 1940s, Irving Berlin, he did this for World War One as well. Like they would do like the touring all army singing and dancing, you know, don't think about your mortality troops for this, you know, hour. We're going to get through it show. And so they wanted him to do it for World War II and he did. And then if you enlisted in the army and had any theater experience, if you were a janitor on Broadway, they immediately (laughs) shipped you to Irving Berlin. They were like, we want you over there. And so Hayden and Jess had already spent 10 years working on Broadway. So they were immediately put over there. They were the first stage managers the two assistant stage managers <laughs> why has my personnel file been marked with this two mask icon like how is that a stamp already it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like just boom go. 4f <laughs> drama <laughs> but what that meant was like this is the army which was the name of the show was this haven for gay men in world war ii where they were accepted and worked alongside straight soldiers and also black soldiers because their little battalion was the first integrated unit in American army history. That's wild. The army was still segregated then. Since there are no women drag queens. Like a lot of the men did all the women roles. I recently found out that one of the men that is that was really close friends with Hayden and Just, he did all the lady roles. Like I found his cast list. He was just like dancers, hostess, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He had a role and he stuck to it. Yeah, and, it, and what was really what I really like is just a couple weeks ago I found his two closest living relatives and got to tell them all this because they did not know any of this, which was really special. <laughs> but anyway, so like there is only one real firsthand account of this entire thing. This is the army, and it was written by the stage manager Alan Anderson. It's a good memoir, and it is <laughs> invaluable because he literally worked right above Hayden and Jess, so he knew them very well. Except that, like, at the end of the book, he does mention, like, in the whole, like, where are they now kind of thing. It's like, you know, this is the last time I saw Just. You know, the AIDS crisis hit. It was the last time I saw Hayden. He doesn't directly say that Hayden and Just died of AIDS. But, like, he lumps them in with, like, we lost a lot of soldiers to AIDS. And that was, like, I know they didn't die of AIDS. And so it's like, well, how did they? Because I, you know, talking to Hayden's relatives that are still alive, they were like, we also don't really know. And so that's why I tracked down their death certificates, which is really it just it feels weird to to like but that's what i mean i'm I'm learning like this is what biographers do is they are stalkers essentially (laughs) i mean hey you're not going down to the library and scrolling through a million microfiches so no get yourself lucky there i've done the 21st century which is newspapers.com but yeah so i got their death certificates which like told you know what hospitals they were at heartbreaking details that like on Jess's death certificate, it's like, I don't know, there's like, there's a person that has to be there to like sign off on like who the person yeah. is, you know, and it's like Hayden Rourke, comma, friend. Oof. That is, it's just like, that is so, when I got that, it just like punched me in the gut to be like, to love a man for 40 years, to go through war together, and then at the end of it all, you're just like on the death certificate, a fucking friend. Like, it just is so upsetting. Ugh. 
Uh, so like, yeah, I, I got to dispel any rumors of that sort. But, I mean, like AIDS is still a part of my book because Hayden's nephew was also gay and died of AIDS. One of his best friends was Rock Hudson, who died of AIDS. I mean, I guess like, I mean, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just monologuing. I'm so... oh. The best discovery of this entire thing. Hayden died in 87. And in 1985, he did I Dream of Jeannie 15 years later, which was the t- first of two TV reunions. After, I think after he filmed that, he went and did his last ever play. He was diagnosed with stomach cancer, like, right after he got back from doing this play in Wyoming, where his brother lives. Casper, Wyoming. And so I was like, well, that's the last thing he ever did. I should... You know, I, I found the cast list and I found like, so I was like, I should, I found the program. So it's like, I should try to reach out to these people because like 1985, they're all alive. It's harder to find people from Genie, but like I can find these people and they know what it was like to work with him on a production, you know, college theater production, but. It still counts. Yeah. And so like I found all of them. I contacted Facebook. It's the only reason that I have like a public Facebook right now is because of people <laughs> need to message me. And sometimes I'm truly just keeping Facebook around because I need to be able to get in touch with baby boomers. <laughs> It's old people, yep. <laughs> I like knew him because it's it's been an invaluable resource. I went through the cast list and I found all these people and I like found them through Facebook and interviewed, interviewed, interviewed. And then one of them was like, "Oh, have you talked to this one guy that's on the?" Ca-? I was like, "Oh no, I like I was trying to find him, but his name's kind of like generic." So I was like, "I don't know how to find him." And they were like, "Oh, here's his email." I kept in touch and I email him and I talked to him. And so like I set up an email call and we started talking and it was Hayden's partner. It was Hayden's second partner after Just died. And they were together from 1980 up until he died. Just completely at random like that. You just stumbled onto it. Yeah. It's amazing. The thing, like, literally was kind of like, if you're writing the movie of my search, if you're doing Julie and Julia version of this, <laughs> where you're like, you're also following me. I was reaching a point in my research because I only talked to Hayden's niece, niece-in-law. His closest living relative is his niece-in-law, who is straight. Just has two half-brothers that are still alive, 87 and 85, both straight. The wife of one of the brothers is obviously straight. They also kept saying like things like, you know, we knew they were probably gay, but we didn't like it was this like, you know, we love them and they were always together. And like I and later on, like I wanted to ask him about it, but like I was new to the fan. Like it was this and me being a very thorough worry wart kind of person. I was like, what if he's not gay? <laughs> oh, no. Like, what if he actually isn't? Like, what if who knows? Abraham Lincoln, was he gay? I mean, he slept in bed with men, but apparently men did that in the 18th. 18- like, it was this like, my mind was just like racing, <laughs> you know? And it was like, I need to find a single gay person that knew him because he is not going to show parts of himself to like, I don't do that. I mean, it's a thing I have mental struggles with is like, my family doesn't know who I am because I can't show my gay side to them, even though they know I'm gay. And I was like, I have to find someone gay that knew him. And so like, like when that happened, I don't know, he basically inferred that he'd had sex with Hayden. And I was just like, okay, wait, okay, okay. So <laughs> can you just please just confirm Hayden was gay. He was like, uh, yes, absolutely. I was like, thank you so much. Can we actually now, like, we're doing a talk. We're actually going to talk, talk. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Because... So ignore all that other shit I said. Let's yeah. get down to breast. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, this has been a real issue with talking to people of, I mean, I, I come from the South. If you are over the age of 40, you are homophobic. Like, I mean, that is what I grew up in. It has definitely done a number on me. I keep anyone who I perceive as like an adult, even though I am 36, I keep them at an arm's length a little bit until I know that they're cool with gay people just because I grew up and if you were an adult adult, you didn't, you know, it was, you're conservative. 
Yeah. So doing a project like this where I'm talking to primarily people in their 60s and 70s, it is a lot of like, oh, why are you doing this book? And it's like, oh, well, you know, he just had such a fascinating life. And it isn't until like until I get an inkling of like either they knew he was gay or they indicate they are cool with gay people or like (laughs) voted for Hillary. (laughs) Like just any type of inkling (laughs) that like they are not, you know, QAnon people. Yeah. You wait for some kind of secret hand signal that you can just be like. Yeah, it. But it is like, it's like, I don't want to scare anyone away. I need to get specific information from people. And so it is like, as an interview, doing this dance of like, how can I keep you on the phone? And we're like talking and I'm not going to make you then wary about like participating in a, a queer book or something like that. <laughs> and it hasn't happened. And this has also been very therapeutic for me because I have been able to build relationships with people in their 70s that have done a lot to help me dispel of my own fear about old people. (laughs) (laughs) But particularly with meeting Hayden's partner, because again, he's in his late 60s, mid to late 60s, because Hayden was shacking up with someone 40 years younger than him. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love it. Gotta love it. It has been a profound experience as a gay man to be able to talk to an elder, because they are rare, and... And to hear, and it's also why I want to tell this story, is, like, hearing all of them talk, like, he would talk about, like, when he went to Hollywood in the 70s, like, you get off the bus, and then you were just welcomed into the fold. The, like, older gay men, you would go to the parties, they would show you the movies, they would play the records. Like, it was very much like you were given the courses, and you learned how to exist as a gay man in society, and you had this immediate network and safety net. And But me, like, I came out, 2005 in Tennessee and it was the loneliest I've ever felt in my life like I had no one I had nothing you know and even moving to New York in 2006 I still did not had no mentors I had no gay friends like it was so lonely and part of this book is also showing what we lost like how gay men gay people queer people had built a not equal society at all but they had figured out a way to like carve out safety nets and support and also really fight for progress and push forward a lot and then the 80s happened and it completely pushed it all back which is upsetting so it's been really cathartic and rewarding and healing for me to to get to talk to elders about all this and and also just like let them know that like millennials i care you know, a lot of them do say, like, you know, the kids nowadays don't care about history. And gay culture, especially, like, gay male culture, is very, you know, abs, youth, influencer. Like, it's very focused on that. And I, I don't know, I'm trying to trying to make this matter. <laughs> it's absolutely important. You know, like you talk about, usually when you hear about, oh, when I stepped off the bus in Hollywood, it is always going to be a negative story. It is always going to be, you know, someone trying to convince you to, oh, meet me at a second location, and you never do that. Yeah, your prostitution, drug, like sting operation, drug, like just bashing. You think it's going to be something horrible to hear that you talked about being lonely yourself and the idea of being someone who is arriving at a new place and it's not going to be a story about how you arrived and were lonely and didn't know how to relate or know where to start but you were in fact taken in and shown the ropes in this a society that is built against all odds and probably shouldn't exist by the people who are making decisions and yet it does exist in spite of all that and that hayden had that too that like he spent his like 
20s going to Broadway because he was born in Brooklyn. And so like he would go to Broadway all the time and, and then like go into the army and like you're immediately in the like song and dance battalion. <laughs> so, like you make tons <laughs> of gay friends. He was friends with every famous like Rock Hudson. Mega producer Ross Hunter was one of his best friends. Uh, who produced all the Doris Day movies with Rock Hudson. Arthur Lubin, who directed all the Francis the Talking Mule movies before creating Mr. Ed. Cesar Romero, Van Johnson, probably Tab Hunter as well. I'm trying to get in touch with Tab Hunter's husband because I found an article about the Hayden and Tab talking in the 80s. It was kind of like without fail. Anytime anyone would mention any male celebrity's name and like, oh, I would see him at Hayden's house. I would just like Google, yeah, gay. Gay. (laughs) Probably gay. Thought gay. It was like, yeah, they were all just friends and like very supportive of each other but yeah no i've talked to over the course of this year i've talked to barbara eden that was a big get and i've talked to the children of the rest of the cats so i've talked to larry hagman's daughter i've talked to bill daly's son the biggest one for me aside from like barbara eden obviously hayden's tv wife was played by an actress named emmeline henry and it was this was the most thing she was known for was genie she died in 79 and she's kind of a mystery like there isn't a lot known about her personal life you know she never married never had kids blah blah, blah. through you know ancestry.com and kids being helpful i found her 95 year old older sister <laughs> and got to talk to her and she told me all this like that genie book that i have has a chapter on her and it is just essentially what is going to become her imdb page what her imdb page now that's what it was in 2000 and it's like the hell (laughs) i found her sister and her sister told me that she was married and then i found her marriage certificate and her divorce certificate added them to her wikipedia page and it's just like things like that are just really cool to unearth and like the entire world assumed emmeline henry never married and I discovered, no, she was <laughs> for like four years, six years. It's, it's fun. So a lot of revelations that I'm just spoiling from the book. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. People are still going to buy the book. Yeah. Buy the book, people listening. Don't make me come over there. If you have an agent or a publisher, please email. <laughs> hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, where is my segue? No, that's the problem. See, I listen to your voice a lot on podcasts and stuff, so I've just been kind of listening and being like, uh-huh, this, this is great. This is wonderful. Well, I mean, I can go. <laughs> you are, in fact, a good interview, Brett. And so if people <laughs> wanted to find more of your stuff on the internet, where would they go? You got to at Brett White on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow at Hayden Rourke on Twitter, where I need to post more things. I have a bunch of things queued, like just like anniversaries of when movies came out and like newspaper articles. And Must Have Seen TV is my podcast. You can go back last year and listen to my first meeting with Mr. Rourke. I'm one of the most important men in my life now. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. And it really, I really, it's really surreal that I'm never going to get to meet him because I now know so much about him. It's really... When you think about it existentially, it's just like, that's real weird. Like, death is weird, man. Like, <laughs> it's weird. That took a turn. Uh, and you can read the words that are right at Decider.com if you like Marvel, Star Wars, Drag Race, classic television. It never ends. <laughs> and you're doing stuff on The Circle now, right? Yeah, I did. And now The Circle US Season 2 is over. Season 3, I think, is going to be coming fairly soon. Probably the fall. I'll be back on that. And, you know, I auditioned again, so... <laughs> maybe in 2022 you'll see me on netflix all right brett well thank you so much for coming on the show this has been fantastic thanks for having me.
very much to Brett White for his time. Now, since Brett was talking a lot about I Dream of Genie, I decided to reach back to the year that it aired in 1965, which was also the publishing date of a very famous cocktail book by John DeKuyper, The Complete Guide to Cocktails. And while perusing this book, I found a drink that would suit the retro style of this episode, and has not been done to death like a lot of other retro cocktails. John DeKuyper called it the Curacao Cocktail, but today it's the Hayden Rourke. Prepare your cocktail glass by rinsing it in a dash of orange bitters. Then, in a shaker full of ice, combine one and a quarter ounces of orange curacao, you can use Grand Marnier or Cointreau or Triple Sec if you have some, one and a quarter ounces of orange juice, a quarter ounce of gin, and a quarter ounce of brandy. Shake vigorously and strain into your prepared cocktail glass. Guaranteed to put the genie back into your bottle. Enjoy! Matthew is recorded in Ryde, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every second Friday, although we had a bit of a skip week because I don't know if you've heard, we've had a complete lockdown in Sydney. The Delta variant can suck it. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathaview at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You. You can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. Patrons get early access to episodes, physical mail, bonus cocktail recipes, and really, I would just appreciate it a whole bunch. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever they're getting podcasts these days and leave me a five-star rating. It'll help people find the show. You can also leave a review, and if you tell me, I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a playlist going all the way back to episode one, including this song. It's when it started by The Strokes. I know they're a favorite of Brett's. I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, I'll be talking to Jody Troutman, webcomic artist and writer, about The Wizard of Oz. And there's no place like home. Join me, won't you? Like every single state in America has their own traditions, like regions have their own traditions and stuff. And then when you move out of that area, then you're like, wait a second, you guys didn't do X, Y, Z? And we're like, no. I feel like St. Louis has the absolute most of those because <laughs> like when we first started dating, it was a group of us and Seb was like, yeah, you know, when you go trick or treating and then you like, they make you say the joke and then you say the joke and then you get your candy. And we're all like, wait, what are you talking about? Say a joke. And he was like, no, in St. Louis, you have to like, trick-or-treat and then they're like what's your joke and you have to tell them a joke it's baffling and then just the other day he came into my office and was like 
hey, did you ever celebrate the, I don't even know what it is, it's some holiday in early December that celebrates some sort of saint, and he was like, you put your shoes out in the hallway and you get something, I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about, I've never heard that. He was like, oh, apparently that's just a Saint, that's just a St. Louis Catholics thing, so. <laughs> Tennessee doesn't have, I don't think Tennessee has as much of that, we just call everything Coke. You also got really southern when you were doing like saying what Seb was saying. It was like, y'all put your shoes out, and I'm just yeah, like, yeah, I don't think I've is? ever. It happens. Do you think your Do you think your accent's gotten stronger in quarantine? Like, has it turned in on itself? I don't even know. Oh God. I mean, I mean listen, a lot of things have changed in quarantine. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of everyone's uh, gone a little bit off the deep end. 